Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said it to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. The Gospel of the Lord. In the last few years, particularly thanks to social media, we've had a rise of this disturbing phenomenon called prayer shaming. That's when news of some horror or a tragedy becomes national news, whether it's an evil like a, a terrorist attack or a mass shooting, but even could be about stories of, of this devastation from some weather-related event like a hurricane or tornado, and a number of individuals that are in the public eye, like a politician or a celebrity, will put out the sentiment that they're sending thoughts and prayers to the, the victims and their families who've suffered these fates. Well, prayer shaming is where there will be this ugly backlash to that, whether it's by other politicians and celebrities who respond very dismissively to that. So a few years ago, in the wake of the, the terrorist attacks in Paris, there was this phrase and the image with pray for Paris going all over the internet, and some media outlets pushed back with images saying, don't pray for Paris. Religion caused this tragedy in the first place. When a, another terrorist attack occurred in Orlando in 2016, killing almost 50 people, one late-night TV host sarcastically responded to the call to prayer for the families of the victims. The biggest, most helpful thing you can do to ensure this will never happen again is to sit quietly in a room with your eyes closed talking to nobody. Well, the magazine, The Atlantic, tried to, to frame the prayer-shaming debate, saying that one side was more caring because they were advocating doing something, taking action, while the other, in their opinion, was just offering meaningless prayers. And there's probably a lot of reasons that this is happening. Obviously, we're, we're living in an increasingly secular, non-religious society. But the fact that we can see and hear whatever violence, whatever evil, whatever killing, in terrifyingly extreme ways, almost immediately, even on our phones, has left many people scared and angry. So there's this frustration that we want to immediately see some action. You add some divisive politics and how people become more dismissive of one another's different points of views, and that creates this environment where those calls to do something, anything, begins to get louder and louder and can take over things like thinking first and sadly prayer as well. 
But one of the points that that article in the Atlantic on prayer shaming so accurately made was that prayer and political action have a deeply entwined history in the United States. From the civil rights movement to women's being able to vote, nearly every social justice movement has had strong supporters from the religious communities. That U.S. history is littered with images like the ones of pastors and rabbis marching on Selma side by side with political activists. So prayer and action shouldn't be a competing activity or, or seen as a mutually exclusive kind of a thing. Like saying if, if you're a person of faith that you can't be in favor of some gun legislation or that a member of the military who is out in the battlefield can't be prayerful. But for some reason, that seems to be a mentality that some have very loudly accepted. This debate about doing something and praying isn't a new one, as we heard in tonight's gospel. This classic episode of Jesus coming to the home of Martha and Mary. And the encounter is often described as this, this metaphor of one who's active, and that would be Martha, and the other contempt, contemplative and prayerful, Mary. On the surface, Martha's there working her tail off. She's trying to be a good host. And Mary's simply enjoying being with Jesus. And when Martha's overwhelmed by the tasks and, and complains to Jesus, he seems to side with Mary being the slacker in this story. But it goes a lot deeper than that. Jesus isn't judging the tasks or the work that either sister is doing. He's not unappreciative or dismissive of Martha's contributions or even saying that Mary's doing something more important when he says that she's chosen the better part. Jesus is speaking about what's going on in each of these women's hearts. Martha has made this judgment about Mary's responsiveness to the Lord as being less important than what she was doing. And she's determined that Mary shouldn't be doing what she's doing and becomes bitter to it, almost to the point of complaining openly about it. And in doing so, whatever generosity of spirit Martha might have had gets pushed aside as she goes about her task and is getting more and more frustrated that Mary hasn't even offered to help her. I wonder if Martha even thought to ask for help, or did she just expect that, that Mary had read her mind and would have offered it? Perhaps as all that was going on, though, Martha forgot who it was that she was preparing this meal for in the first place, that Jesus was right there in the midst of them. And that lapse causes Martha to become judgmental and critical, and it kind of ruins the atmosphere. Rather than Jesus just being welcomed into their home and experiencing true hospitality where he's acknowledged and attended to and responded to in appropriate ways, he ends up mediating a squabble between the two sisters. And if you think about it, that's what evil does. It turns people against each other. And yes, in this gospel encounter, it's, it's a momentary lapse that Jesus gently corrects and the sisters are reconciled. But I can't help but think that as we're facing so many different incidents of diabolical evil inflicting such brutality and chaos throughout the world, that one of the, the biggest successes that the devil's having is turning people against one another. For us to, to confront the great difficulties of our day, the evil that's unleashed in, in violence and terrorism and extremism, 
We as Christians need both. Yes, we do need to act. We have to protect. We have to do whatever it is in terms of examining laws and policies on a whole host of things that seem to be playing out in dramatic, violent ways all at the same time. But the foundation for that as Christians has to be sincere, deep, and genuine prayer. That means it's not enough to simply tweet prayers for and then insert the latest tragedy. We actually have to do that. We have to connect with the Lord in our prayer, and prayer that's going to open us up to to hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit's promptings and directions. Prayer that's going to keep me open to the Word of God. Prayer that's attentive to all that is good and beautiful and just. Prayer that is loving and that is focused on those who are suffering and those in most need. Pope Francis once said, fear paralyzes us. It always paralyzes us. It makes us close in on ourselves and closed to God's surprises. While prayer enables grace to open a way out from closure to openness, from fear to courage, from sadness to joy, And we can add from division to unity. Our being here is an important first step. To to hear God's word, to receive Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist as Catholics, this is the foundation of our, our faith lives and our prayer lives. But if you're like me, it's easy to run out from Mass, get in your car, and start to get consumed by just the the day to day challenges, the obstacles that we try ourselves to fix to mend, to heal, to attend to each and everything that we encounter without even first pausing for a moment and trying to connect with the Lord and ask him to direct our words and our actions, truly believing that God wants to do just that. He wants to use us to bring about his will into the world around us. A priest one time said to me when I had kind of lost sight of how much emphasis I was putting on myself fixing with the problems I was dealing with at the time, said, we already have a Savior, and you ain't him. And he was right. I laughed and said, yes, the best I can say is that I'm one of Jesus' customer service reps, and it's my responsibility to tell him that he's got a problem on line one, line two, line three, and line four, and if he'd like me to do anything about them. Probably not the most eloquent or pious of images, but it's an image that works well for me. And when I keep that, that image in mind, when I look at the boss, Jesus that is, and recognize that he always prayed, especially before doing something big, well then it's probably important for us, his followers, to do as well. God moves through prayer. He loves us and he desires to give us the best and the best gifts. In a world that sometimes seems spinning out of control, where evil seems to be on the move in dramatic and frightening ways, may you and I continue to reach out to him who has promised that he will never, ever leave us, never leave us as orphans with no one to run to. He is here for us, always.